0: Hi, Catherine. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Steps of 36, a podcast by the Architectural Association. Um, so we're going to start with a series of questions. Um, the first two are quite general. Um, so can you please tell us what your full name is?
1: Yes, and thank you for having me. Um, I'm Catherine Timmins.
0: Thank you, Catherine. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, question number two: uh, Did you ever have a nickname, or do you still have one?
1: I feel like I've had a few because Catherine's a m- quite a mouthful of a word to say. A lot of people call me Tim, okay. Timmins or Cat. Um, yeah, but non's uh, non sort of stuck. They're just people call me different things.
0: Right. Is it family or friends or
1: um, everyone. everyone? People at different places call me right. different things, which is quite interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: Good. Um, now we're going to shift to your childhood um and question number three is where did you grow up
1: uh i grew up in a lovely town <laughs> i'm saying that's sort of ironically called warrington okay. which is in between manchester and liverpool um yeah it's a sort of really typical town but it does have beautiful countryside around it as well
0: is it split football allegiances
1: yeah and yeah. it's very much like if you're grow up on one side you have more of a manc accent and okay. if you grow up on the other more of a liverpudlian accent so it's yeah, quite a sort of split personality town, I think.
0: And since I can't tell many UK accents, which ones do you have?
1: I grew up more on the Manc side, but okay. it's not very strong. Okay. I wish I had a stronger All right. Manc
0: accent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number four. Um, what was the typology of the home you grew up in?
1: Um, suburban house, very sort of like, yeah, British suburbia. It was detached. Um, very standard, nothing like exciting to say about um, where... The sort of neighborhood I grew up for the house, but it was a loving home. That's right. the main thing.
0: And in your work today, do you often think about that home?
1: Um, yeah, it's, I work, my work focuses on cities. So right. it's quite interesting the sort of contrast between my experience in suburbia and then I, I find it really exciting thinking about cities and the um, variety of cultures and interesting things going on all at the same time rather than, uh, yeah, the suburban landscape. So right. it's quite a contrast.
0: Yeah. I always find the suburban situation because I grew up in a similar one uh, stuck between like the rural and, and mm. the, the urban and I always am drawn to those two extremes. Um, yeah, same. Yeah. Um, question number five, uh, within within your suburban home, how many um, family members uh, lived uh, together?
1: There was five of us. Um, so my parents and my brother and sister.
0: Okay. And did any of them still live in the house? No, no, no,
1: we've all moved on. Occasionally we have like family staying and stuff, but yeah, we've moved on from that house.
0: Okay. Um, And as a child in this home, did you have a favorite toy that you played (laughs) with?
1: (laughs) Yes. And this is incredibly embarrassing, but I feel like I should just be honest on this podcast. I had a teddy um, that had flappy ears, so it was called Flaps. Right. So yeah, I had a dog teddy called Flaps, which feels very odd to say (laughs) but my my, but actually so that was my sort of favorite toy but my favorite thing to do Hmm. so i used to store cardboard under my bed okay i loved to sort of make things out of scraps i had so many toys i was very lucky but it was way more fun to sort of scavenge away like um toilet rolls and bits of packaging and see what i could make out of those Hmm. things
0: and very resourceful yeah very (laughs) environmentally friendly yeah I was much more destructive. My mom used to tell me I would take all the tissues out of the boxes. (laughs) Um, Question number seven. Um, As a child, were there any foods that you refused to eat?
1: No, I absolutely everything. Mm. Um, Still do. I love food. I'll try anything. Wow.
0: What's the most uh, extreme thing you think you've tried?
1: Um, Oh, that's a good question. Mm. I had some really amazing foods I'd never tried in Japan. One that I haven't tried... Which I'm a bit freaked out right. about, but I um, want to try All is right. jellyfish. Okay. Um, i am sort of scared by it, but yeah. you know, give it a go. Yeah. It See what it's like.
0: Can't be anything <laughs> different than like a clam.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, the last uh, question for childhood: uh, What was your most memorable holiday um, before you you left um, your child at home?
1: Um. Well, I've got two. Sorry, no, um, okay. one was used to go to Wales a lot. So like that's m- where my favorite memories are, spending a lot of time in the countryside in Wales. But um, I was very lucky and had this incredible experience where for all of our sort of major birthdays that spanned across three years and Christmases, our parents pulled all of that money. So it was like their 50th, my sister's 21st, I was 18. And we found this deal where you could get a cheap round the world ticket so as long oh. as you kept going one way around the world it was like a very odd deal really? um but my parents found it and so we had this month where we went one way around the world and i think that was the most enlightening one seeing different ways of living different cities different experiences yeah that sounds, that's one that changed me the most
0: that sounds incredible what, what um how, what were some of the highlights of the of the trip in terms of where you visited?
1: Um, I think going to Singapore okay. was incredible. Just sort of the different foods for me, the sort of coming together of many cultures in one sort of like really intense space, I think really opened my eyes to um, the world in a way that, you know, this little suburban town I'd never seen um, that kind of way of living before. So, yeah.
0: And um, did you, when you were traveling um, for the month, uh, were you always with your family or did you have excursions alone? Or
1: um, We were kind of all together. There'd be times where we'd sort of split off into like little groups. Um, but, uh, or, or sometimes, you know, you'd sort of wander around the block while you're like waiting for someone. But we were kind mm-hmm. of all together. I think because we'd not experienced that, those kind of places before we were probably a little bit uh nervous to let go of each other Um, but now one of my favorite things to do is to just wander in streets and cities and find new things yeah
0: yeah the 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 aspect of wandering is is quite fun i Mm -hmm. i've been walking in london all summer and it's amazing i've lived here for 16 years and i still find all these places i've never been to um so yeah more more wandering is is needed (laughs) Um, all right, we're, we're going to shift a bit now to questions about your work. Um, so question number nine is, how would you describe to people what you do?
1: Um, slightly complicated. I'm a qualified architect, but I don't work in the sort of traditional architect architecture practice anymore. Um, I now work for the Mayor of London in the regeneration team, so in the public sector. And I also teach at um, the Bartlett and Central St. Martin. So I feel like, how I describe what I do is a bit tricky these days. Right. It's sort of architect, educator, um, public servant. I think the main way I describe it is sort of as a listener and mediator. Okay. Um, and sort of navigating different ways of communicating ideas um, through those different channels and different types of work.
0: And do you think your architectural education sort of um, gave you the skills to to be able to communicate? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we were talking about this yesterday actually when I was um, teaching about how in architecture you're so used to thinking about how you visually communicate something, how you verbally communicate something, how you might physically um, communicate it with your body and you get well rehearsed in sort of doing reviews and um, looking at other people's work and trying to challenge ideas. And I think it's a really incredible skill that you don't realize you get from architecture school, which is being able to communicate in different ways. Um, and it's something that I use in every part of all of my different jobs. That's the main thing right. that I've taken, I think.
0: I think it's it's good to hear. I always talk to my students about how the the presentation, um, especially at the end of the year, should be seen as a drawing or a model. You know, we put so much creative thought into those things, but sometimes a presentation is just, you know, the last five minutes beforehand, you just prepare it. Um, So we always push the students to actually think of it in a creative act, Um, uh, but also to use simple language as well. That's the main thing.
1: Like plain, easy to follow um, language is essential. And that's something that, you know, working in the public sector is absolutely drilled into us. It's incredibly valuable because if you alienate and exclude so many people by using very com- overly complex and unneeded uh, language. So
0: It's a problem in architecture and, and the jargon we use. And mm. we, we make up a lot of words as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the next question, uh, did you always know that this is the kind of line of work that you wanted to do when you were younger?
1: Um, no, mm. absolutely no. Right. Uh, I think I had no idea. In the sort of British education system you get, uh, or my experience of the British education system you get very like pushed to going to university to do something and i think in all honesty i sort of panicked and picked architecture i was like i love uh, art and i'm interested in science maybe this makes sense i have no architects in the family i don't know any um I, i didn't know any at that age um it was incredible and i really value having the privilege to study architecture i think I feel very lucky also, though, that I've been able to use those skills and pivot them um, to a way of practice that suits me. Right. Um, and I, even when I was an architect in practice, I didn't know that these roles that I play now existed. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know and I continue to not know, right. I think.
0: And, and being in the public sector, that's something you in, enjoy more than sitting Absolutely. in an office, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I really love the sort of clear mission of, trying to do good things for Londoners right. and working for the public. I feel like that, um, I get a lot out of that. Mm. Yeah,
0: Must be quite rewarding, yeah. Mm. Um, so in this um, world that you've kind of created in a way, this kind of practice that you're working within um, that bridges um, sort of many different areas within the discipline, mm. what, what sort of tools and devices do you use most of the time?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I think for me, sort of going back to what I was saying about those communication tools so thinking about how you might um visually through a presentation like break down an idea and make it as accessible as possible and really mm-hmm. take someone on a journey through that information um I think the listening tools are probably the ones that I use the most or need to use the most um and f- so it's not sort of the uh Uh, tools as in like physical things I make things with it's more these sort of social skills that I think are my tools um so sort of being aware of you know when you're in a room who isn't talking and why and is there a way that you can bring them into the conversation um or is there some is there a way that you're describing the idea that you're trying to get across that isn't landing like what um how can you open the conversation as much as possible I think there's like listening observing um, challenging my own communication skills are probably the ones that I I draw on every day.
0: Right, that's I like that answer quite a bit because obviously tools we think of, you know, digital <laughs> tools or pencils yeah. or pens, um, but that's more action um, mm-hmm. in a way a tool as action. So, uh, yeah, nice answer. Um, moving on from that, and because uh, you probably work in multiple different spaces, but what mm. what space? What's the space that you mostly work in?
1: Um I suppose, well, currently at home, maybe. Right. Um, but the space, the sort of work space that I spend a lot of time in is uh it used to be City Hall, the well, the old City Hall, the sort of Norman Foster blob right. next to Tower Bridge. Yeah. Um the mayor doesn't uh own that building, and uh, use that building anymore. So we've split across multiple sites uh, around London. So um the space that I work in is very generic office, public sector. It's not very right. physically exciting in terms of there's not much visual stimulation on the walls. But there's an incredible energy of those okay. people coming together all on this common mission of trying trying to do good stuff for London, right. trying to improve and trying to serve the public. So the physical space, not great. right? Um, but the energy is, yeah, incredible and,
0: and that probably makes it enjoyable to come to work every day absolutely yeah,
1: yeah. and then i suppose the other sort of teaching spaces the central st martin's and the part that um both have had sort of relatively new buildings i suppose right. in in the past sort of 10 years um so the spaces are um are great but again it's more about the conversations that you're having in the room and right. um, and the energy that you get from the students and that collaborative spirit uh, right. in those teaching spaces that's great
0: and, and how was it working in the Norman Foster building?
1: Um, we all have very mixed feelings right. about that building. Yeah. I personally loved the the place, sort of being on the river, being like visible to a lot of London. Um, there was this incredible space on the top floor called London's living room, right? And that was kind of open for community events, like anyone could use that space to launch an idea or celebrate something. Um, the, there were challenges though. you know, how do you put a desk up against the right. curved wall? And it, I think it was designed in a way that you purposefully can't extend it. Okay. So we were very crammed in. Okay. Um, so the physical design of the space celebrated a lot of what we do, I think, in that it was incredibly transparent. And the, the chamber where all of these, um, you know, important conversations are held, anyone can look into. It was very public. But the physical challenges of trying to run a massive organization in a building that doesn't quite right. fit us was really difficult.
0: And it's quite performative in its temperature control, no? with, with yeah. the, 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 Did that work? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it leaked. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah, we have right. mice. It's, it's okay. a challenging building. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so moving on to maybe some different types of tools, um, question number 13, is there an app that you cannot live without?
1: Easy city mapper okay. because i have no sense of direction whatsoever okay so yeah i live my life through city mapper it
0: helps with wandering though to have no sense of direction yeah, yeah. it's great but <laughs> <laughs> well, really yeah.
1: difficult when you try to get somewhere on time yeah. um or even places i've been hundreds of times i still just it's like a comfort right. to tell me where to go
0: yeah i used to use city mapper all the time uh, when I lived in uh, southwest London, Brixton, mm-hmm. et cetera, uh, I've moved to southeast London about five, six years ago. So I take the the southeastern trains and mm-hmm. I seem, because I don't use buses that much ah. anymore, I seem to stop using it. But yeah. it's a great app. I mean,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I think trains are very direct, aren't they? they Whereas are. if you're on the sort of bus tube network, you're sort of trying to fit together bits of a journey. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, um, and the final question for the work uh, section: um, If there was one technical technological device that you could invent, um, what would it be?
1: This is quite a difficult question for me because I am me and technology are not friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible with technology, so I was thinking more about instead of a device, I, I was sort of thinking about the the previous question around an app. Right. I th- this might already exist. This is again how naive I am to technology, but um, something that I, I, we talk a lot in my role about the role of public space and how um, how important it is for the city, but also how there are lots of barriers with uh, being in a public space. So something that just tells you, for example, where is a free toilet, or where is somewhere you can sit and have your lunch without having a financial transaction. Where can you be in the city? That doesn't mean you have to um, pay to be there or have a certain um, ability to be there. Yeah, I might already I, exist.
0: I mean, maybe not with all those things. Mm. I mean, there is this is a bit embarrassing, but there is a toilet app that I came across that tells you where all the free toilets, like in pubs or, or hotels, can uh, yeah. you can go into, but not all those spaces. Mm. Um, so I think. Uh, kind of um, the idea of right to space and uh, may- maybe that could be the name of the app yeah um, yeah so I think I think you, you should develop that we
1: could be out billionaires we could be yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right so now we'll shift to questions about architecture in the city mm-hmm. um, where do you currently live I live in Tottenham okay and have you lived there for a while
1: uh yeah I think about seven years okay yeah, I really love it
0: yeah I went to Tottenham uh, maybe two weeks ago. It's the first time I've been in about 10 years and it's changed dramatically.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Over, the seven, over the time I've been there, it's really, really changed. Right. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because I lived in Brixton, as I said, and that's the opposite lines mm-hmm. of the Victoria <laughs> line and they've both changed so, so dramatically. Um, Brixton is mm-hmm. similar to, to Tottenham. When I moved there, the the market was um, had no restaurants other mm-hmm. than the first Franco Manco and now it's... I mean, it's a tourist attraction. It's yeah. quite quite incredible. Yeah. yeah, I miss the old Brixton, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, if there's sort of um, one building or space uh, that you would recommend within London uh, for people to go visit, um, what, what would it be?
1: Hmm. This is quite a difficult one. I think I'm uh, more connected to spaces rather than buildings yes. now because of my work. But um, there's The sort of allotments of the city really fascinate me. They're all quite sort of uh, hidden and locked away. But there was a space I went to um, called Glengall Wharf Community Gardens. It's quite hidden. I think it was in Brockwell Park. I'm not sure. It Um, is, yeah. 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 And the, the, the work that they've created there, the space, the sort of multifaceted types of creating nature and wild environments was such a revelation when I sort of discovered it and went in. So, mm. yeah.
0: Have have you been to Oxford? Yes. And there's so many quite amazing allotments that remind me of the one in Brockwell Park all around the outskirts of Oxford. Mm. That There's this interesting kind of synthesis between the edge of the city, the rural con- mm. condition and the urban condition. Mm. Um, but they are quite community driven spaces. Um, I've always been a bit strange to me that they also feel like a slight secret society.
1: Yes. Um, Yeah. You can't just walk in. You can to Wharf community gardens, but to allotments, they're locked. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a new vision of that of a model that aren't locked. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So question number seventeen: Is there a building? are currently in existence that's kind of inspiring you at the moment or you really um, would like to go visit?
1: Um, I, I suppose, again, sorry, this is probably not the right answer because it's not really uh, a building. But no, my... no wrong answer. Okay, <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> um, my favorite sort of collection of buildings is probably my local high street, which is okay. West Green Road in Tottenham. Um, But I feel like that kind of applies to all high streets. They really fascinate me. And we do a lot of thinking about them at work and trying to value um, value what they provide for London in our, in our research. But the reason I think that sort of collection of buildings is so amazing and we should value them more is you can travel the world in one high street in London. And I think that's incredible. Right. Um, you can, along my high street, I have so many different languages. The food smells are amazing. The music, It's also alive at very different times of day. So it's this sort of stretched out building, I suppose, that wakes up and sleeps uh, constantly at different times. And there's sort of mini ecosystems within that high street. Uh, Yeah, I think. And
0: and is there, because the high streets are slightly in in, uh, threat at the moment Mm. um, due to larger shops or um, online shopping. Um, Is there within London kind of, A way to that you're looking into protecting them and making sure they they remain vibrant. Obviously, in the center of the city, this doesn't seem to be an issue, but in the outskirts, Mm. it it does seem to be.
1: Yeah, the changing nature of retail is sort of a constant battle to keep up with. I think what's really unique about London is that even though the retail dynamic is changing, as you said, there's more chains, there's more online shopping high streets are incredibly resilient because they provide so much more than retail um, in terms of like cultural activity, social activity. Um, you know, there'll be like salons that also act a bit as childcare or right. um, like if you go to your local pub, you also having sort of, you might catch up with someone and have a, a mental health conversation. You know, there's, right. it provides all these informal services. Um, but there's something... Yeah, there's something um, at the GLA that's been developed called the Property Exchange. Okay. I don't know a huge amount about it, so I'm not going to talk loads right. to it, but it's about trying to match up empty spaces and encourage landlords to bring other uses to the high street. So, more of that, like cultural and social um, sort of services, rather than just relying on retail.
0: Right. And, and maybe one other question that I've been quite curious about that when I see high streets, Again, let's say on the peripheral of London or even outside the city, mm. um, in other parts of the UK, when they pedestrianise them, mm. sometimes it actually causes more problems than, than when it was a, a vehicular street. Mm. Um is there what's the is there an idea behind that or
1: I think it sort of varies place to place and right. there's um there'll be different reasons for doing that in, in different areas, but I think one thing that we know about high streets is there is absolutely no one size fits all solution. Right. So if one high street, um, is pedestrianized and it works really well, that does not mean you should pedestrianize right. the one, uh, you know, in the next borough yeah. or the other way around. You know, if one's a failure, it doesn't mean that it won't be a success elsewhere. Right. Okay. Um,
0: yeah. um In in our discipline, our profession, um, in our built environment, there's a lot of buildings that no longer exist Mm. um, that we all sort of even fantasize about um, in our historical reading of them. If there's one of those um, architectures that no longer is with us Mm. um, that you could visit, which would it be?
1: That's a really hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. I think, again, it would probably not be one singular building I would love to go back and see Soho like 40, 50 years ago and sort of sit in the environment then. I think it's changed dramatically and it's still one of my absolute favorite places in London. But I think that collection of architecture and collection of typologies and services and activities that Soho had back then would be fascinating to sort of soak up.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a nice, nice way to answer that question. I think I have the same image. I grew up near New York City, mm. and um, and the same Soho, uh, actually, <laughs> um, uh, and all those sort of um, warehouse buildings and lofts that became artist mm. center, you know, artist studios in, in the seventies. Uh, that would be where I would like to go. You know? Yeah, yeah, fascinating kind of moment in history. Mm. Um, you spoke about traveling around the world with your family Mm -hmm. um that was done in a plane um if you could pick a different vehicle a different mode of transport um to do to do a similar trip um, what would it be
1: i think it would be a train okay um traveling by train in different countries is one of the best things to do i think it's quite a sort of accessible mode of transport and you can have so many different experiences on one train i think i remember um being in Sri Lanka and sort of getting the train through these insanely gorgeous mountains and you'd stop and then the train would flood with all of these um, new sort of mini ecosystems of people selling things or selling things to each other to then sell on to passengers in the train, Um, the sort of cultural ecosystems that exist. You're sort of in this temporary mini moving city, right? Where you're all together. Yeah. Yeah. And then different people get off and different people join and the conversations, I just think they're really rich environments.
0: Yeah. It's similar. I travel a lot in India and, and it's the same thing, it always just seemed when you would sit on a train, there was a community there providing mm. food, sharing food, um, and conversation and uh, met quite a lot of amazing people on, on sort of those journeys. Um, so yeah, the, the train is, and it's also slow.
1: Yes, exactly. You know. Yeah. I'm very much a, like rushing person. Right. So to be in a slow environment where you're taken on a journey, someone else is in control of the journey again, cause I have no sense of direction, right. <laughs> um, but you're slowing down is really a real privilege.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I went from, um, London to Strasbourg and it was just the most amazing wow. trip, um, short, um, but. You know, I had breakfast in London, lunch in Paris, and dinner in <laughs> Strasbourg, and it was just—I was I, when I got there. You know, usually after traveling long distances, you're kind of exhausted, and I was so relaxed. You know, it was such a, a, a enjoyable experience.
1: Wow.
0: Uh, last question for this um, question number twenty. Uh, we use a lot of different materials in, in architecture. Some good, some not so good. Uh, is there one in particular that you just think is completely ugly and you despise every yeah. time you see it?
1: Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but it's that like orange terracotta looking cladding, okay. that stick on tile. Yes. Um, I think spending a lot of time in Manchester before I moved to London, there was like an era of building where that was like the go-to material. Right. And it's everywhere. Right. And yeah, it, it's something about it really grates on me. It,
0: it's funny because when you see it in Mediterranean countries, mm. there's something about how the sun hits yeah. it that makes it very beautiful, but it doesn't have the same same vibe in London or in, in the UK because we mm. don't have the sun. Especially in Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where the
1: weather is even worse. Yeah. And
0: yeah. The, also, there's something, something about the ones in the UK that look so um, factory-made.
1: Yeah, I think that's a thing. They're too uniform. Exactly. And they're not actually terracotta. They're just like an orange
0: plastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not good for the environment either. Yeah. All right, next section, um, which is more about uh, the culture of places you you live um, and also music, uh, media, et cetera. Um, The first question is... um, you live in London, uh, So, if you could recommend one restaurant that's kind of your favorite at the moment, um, uh, or favorite since you've ever since you've lived here, what would you, what would it be?
1: My sort of long time favorite is Afghan Kitchen. Okay. In a sort of Angel area. Yeah. It's not changed in years. The food's amazing. Mm. The staff are lovely. Um. Yeah, that one. But okay. there's also, I suppose, the one I go to for like a special occasion which is incredible, is Noble Rock. Okay. Um, so they've got three across London, but you feel very um, very special right. when you go in there. It's a really beautiful environment.
0: Yeah. Right. I, have to, I have to go there. I haven't <laughs> been there. Yeah. I have been to Afghan Kitchen. It's mm. excellent. Yeah. yeah. Do you go often?
1: Um, yeah, probably no. shouldn't go right. as much. <laughs> 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 probably calm down, right. but um, I love it. Yeah, yeah.
0: did they say... Hello, Catherine, when you walk in there. No, I'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Question number 22. What do you consider to be your perfect meal? And it doesn't have to be actual food, mm. but it could be a setting, an environment um, that you would just, that you just enjoy sharing a meal with.
1: Yeah. Well, my number one favorite activity is eating. So right. this is a great <laughs> question. Um, I think... There's something about um, food and real conversation, mm. you know, not that kind of superficial, like how's work, or the weather today, more like how are you feeling about this thing or um, opening up to someone or a group of people whilst you're sharing food feels right. really special. So I think an ingredient for my favorite meal would be that kind of honesty and openness. Okay. Um, and I think one thing I love and always feel very honored um, to be in that environment is when someone cooks for you. Okay. I think like they're showing you something about them, their identity, their culture, what they love and that sort of care that comes with like creating a meal for someone I think is really, really special. Um, but I suppose the actual food would just need to include tomatoes. They're right. so my favorite. April. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: Have you ever grown your own tomatoes? Yes, Yes. religiously. I'm
1: upset. They're like my children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: um, And um, in terms of this kind of, because you talk about food bringing people together, um, uh, do you ever think about that in relation to your work and how Mm. how community kind of driven food projects can, can generate that kind of honesty and openness?
1: Absolutely. And sort of strangely by coincidence, quite coincidence sorry i think a few of my projects i've worked on um at the greater london authority have revolved around food whether that's food education or um food growing or food sharing um and i think it sort of goes back to what i was saying before about um when you are having a conversation or you're in a meeting sort of being aware of who's quiet who's sort of uh, not do you feel like that that person who's not speaking might not be comfortable to speak or is someone dominating the conversation right. um and i think that happens around food in a similar way um yeah, yeah. i don't know if that's an odd no, answer no. No, no, was,
0: <laughs> i think because as well, I mean, when you're around the table the food, people are eating sometimes. So even if they're dominating the conversation, they have to eat. Mm. So that sometimes, you know, typically would make someone quiet and not allow someone else to join in mm. the conversation. Um, and do you include uh, alcohol in these meals? Sometimes, Sometimes yes. that helps sometimes to loosen <laughs> yeah, sometimes people Sometimes it up. doesn't help. No. <laughs> sometimes
1: it does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: True. Very, very true. Um The next question is about sort of a cultural event, Um, so uh, sort of a film or a festival, um, Mm. concert. Um, What's the last one that you've attended?
1: Well, I recently went to the theatre to see a play called Pillow Man, um, which was terrifying. Right. So I don't like watching scary things, (laughs) so I did not enjoy it. Right. Although I think a lot of other people did. Right. Um, But I think probably the one that sort of... uh, still very like large in my head is Glastonbury I went for the first okay. time this year and uh, again having that like mini city come together and, right uh all the yeah again all these different cultures languages music like all sort of smushed together I found really stimulating and super exciting so I'd heard a lot about Glastonbury as we all have <laughs> right and um yeah it really blew my mind
0: and did you camp or where, where yes. did you yes yeah, yeah
1: love camping yeah. and sort of being in nature and again there's something about Everybody camping. Right. You're all in the same sort of situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was wild.
0: Yeah, I have to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is a more, let's say, um, experiential question, um, mm. uh, immersive question. Uh, if you can inhabit one film, which would it be?
1: Tricky. Yeah. Mm. Um, very tricky i think my gut reaction is the darjeeling limited okay because it's so rich in color and beauty um
0: and the trains again and the train yeah 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 and the trains yeah. so
1: i think that would be my like instant reaction yeah
0: It's yeah. an excellent film yeah i love the there's a soundtrack in that film is, oh, is amazing so yeah. good yeah um continuing with kind of uh, a media um what is your favorite television show it could be currently or uh, even as a child. Um, yeah.
1: Again, very easy for me. Okay. I am absolutely obsessed and have been for years with RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. Not just the sort of uh, UK or American versions, but I've watched the Thai version, Spanish version, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the um, version in the Philippines, the French. I'm obsessed. Wow. Um.
0: And do you rewatch? Yeah. <laughs> you do. Where, where are you watching some now?
1: Uh well a new series has just started okay. in Australia. So okay. I'm watching that. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Do you have them like recorded everywhere?
1: Well, I pay for an app that specifically lets you watch drag race from different countries wow. around the world. So uh, it's quite dangerous because the app is with me all the time. Okay. So I need to restrain myself.
0: And when when did this obsession start?
1: I'm not entirely sure. Um I can't remember an exact sort of uh year that it started but um i've been watching it for a long time it's been going the the main series has been going on for at least 10 years um but yeah it sort of takes over sometimes
0: (laughs) do you share this with anyone
1: yes yeah um my sister particularly okay um she's also equally obsessed but again there's also a group of friends around so we'll go and watch drag shows together which is really nice that's
0: nice yeah it's good to have something with your with your siblings. Yeah. yeah. Um, question number twenty six. Um, what was the first album you ever bought?
1: This is incredibly embarrassing, um, and I'm not sure all of your listeners will remember this. But do you remember the um, series Pop Stars? Yes. So the, I think the first band that came out of that was called Hearsay.
0: All right. That was my first first album. album. Oh, God. Do you still have it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the next question is also supposed to be a bit embarrassing um mm. but which musei- a musician do you secretly uh love that you're embarrassed to admit
1: i don't know you know because i'm kind of not embarrassed apart from the hearsay <laughs> album mm. i'm not really embarrassed by i'll listen to anything right. i'm really open to music and um, i mean maybe just touching back on the drag race Question: RuPaul releases his own music. Oh, all right, I'm not embarrassed to admit that. And <laughs> um, I listened to that quite a lot. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: And and uh, last question for the culture section, um, number twenty-eight. Um, what what album are you listening to at the moment, or music that you're listening to at the moment that that's kind of inspiring you or mm-hmm. keeping you going work-wise?
1: Um. I suppose the one I listened to last was um, an ESG album. I can't remember the name of that. But the one I listen to almost daily, because I think I can work really well listening to it, and it's beautiful, is Bonobo's Migration album. I listen to that constantly. It's just a sort of easy go-to. It's
0: very good to work to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of gets you lost in your own little world. Yes, exactly. Do you listen to it when you wander?
1: Yeah. 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 I think there's something sort of, um, yeah, I think because there's quite often not lyrics. You can sort of do that losing yourself quite easily. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like wandering music in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, We're going to have two questions on uh, sort of more political in nature. Um, We've talked a lot um, about your work and and, Mm. uh, concepts of right to space. Um, and this question has to deal with a, 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 a important and relevant uh, topic at the moment um, and then speaking to you earlier we were talking about sort of right to space in relation to gender violence mm. um, would you like to expand on on that a bit
1: yeah sure yeah. Um I think it's something that you know as a woman you think about all the time without being conscious that you're thinking about it but um yeah we're doing some research at work as well around sort of the role of the design process in creating safer public spaces for women girls and gender diverse people so it's very subconscious and very conscious in my head at the moment and I think um we need to sort of pivot away from this being an issue for women girls and gender diverse people you know you shouldn't walk down that alleyway you shouldn't go out at night I think we're getting there but um there's a quote that we use uh, by Leslie Kern, who wrote the Feminist City. We use it in every presentation. Right. I think about it a lot, which is, no amount of lighting is going to abolish the patriarchy. <laughs> right. So the design world does have a role to play, but it's not. That's not the reason that there are, there's gender-based violence on on our streets. And I think again, pivoting away from women as victims and even needing to be saved by patriarchal police forces shifting that narrative more towards um women girls and gender diverse people need the power to reshape the city they have a right to the city going back to that sort of right to space thing um and that's the issue that isn't happening at the moment so exclusion from design processes or um things like that can really have a negative impact um
0: and, and you yeah the quote is great because the, the solution to a lot of violence is put more light mm. into, into the space, um, which obviously doesn't doesn't solve the problem. Um, and you, you say designers have a role to play. What other kind of mechanisms um, uh, sort of are, could be in, in, in the kit to, to address some of these issues?
1: I think education is a huge piece mm-hmm. and i know there are lots of people doing brilliant work that could talk to that way more eloquently right. than i can but i think um yeah ed- education around sort of how you make others feel in a space mm-hmm. um would be I- interesting to look at as well um and sort of i know there's brilliant work being done sort of in schools talking about this too um i suppose our role sitting in the aa is thinking about design and architecture and right. the sort of spatial qualities of that as well um so that's why my work focuses there and I think it's quite easy and lazy to be like as you were saying let's put more lighting on more CCTV right. and actually they're not the solution but changing the way that we design the process and who is involved when and how and where the power is and shifting that power dynamic is a really successful way of um, creating a different perceptions of safety.
0: Right, and and obviously you're specifically talking about gender, um, uh, uh, also from a female um, uh, perspective in the city. Uh, are any of these um, sort of approaches that you're talking about also applicable? Because it obviously you know people from the lgbt Mm. community minority groups also have um sort of fears and violence within in the streets and so is it applicable to to these different
1: yeah it's a really good point um so we're very much trying to bring an intersectional lens to the work that we're doing so thinking about how those different characteristics overlap and how that impacts uh, a range of perceptions of safety so um I will have a different experience as a white woman moving through a space, as a black woman, as somebody who is disabled, um, or a combination of all of those things. So, yeah, we're, we're trying really hard to sort of navigate that and make that um, really sing in the in the work that we're doing. Um, but also, there, there what's really tricky is there are r- really specific things around gender, and there are really specific things around disability or marginalized voices, race. You know all these different things that deserve their own space to um to talk to as well um and to have their own piece of research on so for example there's another piece of research uh two that sort of come to mind one is called making london child friendly which is uh by, ran by someone else in the team called ray and another one ran by um ellie howard and ashley rao around disability in the city and so They each have their own sort of space to, to explore, but we absolutely come together and try and understand the overlaps and the opportunities between them, um, which is a real challenge, but also incredibly exciting as well.
0: I mean, that collaboration is key because obviously it also might allow for a more efficient way to get the process out into the world. Yeah. Um, and, and what would that process be like? How, how would you then begin to be able to implement the process that you're, you're um, proposing?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose the way that we sort of get things out into the world is through publishing sort of these research or design guidance or um, supportive documents. To The idea is to help the sector to make them aware of these issues, educate them, give them the tools to change the current situation and um, give them examples and also learn from their expertise as well to inform that process so it's a real two-way conversation to curate these pieces of work um and between us and the sort of architecture design sector um there's also an incredible array of many other voices that feed into that um from different organizations who might represent one of those groups or a plethora of those groups um but i suppose it's a our job is to sort of wrangle all of that, pull it together and try and make it as clear and as easy to understand and take up as possible. And then we publish all of our work for free online, available for anyone, um, just mainly talk to the architecture sector, but it's it's written in a, a, it tries to be as accessible as possible to others with the idea that you can take those tools and implement them in your work.
0: And, and that however, it's reliant on architects going and downloading that Mm. material and then implementing it. Is there any plan to make some of it compulsory or perhaps do you go around the practices Mm. um, or schools even um, you teach um, uh, to, to sort of also disseminate this important information?
1: Yeah, a bit of both. So sometimes because we're in the great position of sitting in a world that creates policy sometimes we can feed that directly into the london plan or other policy and it becomes it has more teeth if that right. makes sense and um, that's not always possible sometimes it is about going around and sharing that information um so i absolutely use those tools in my teaching work um we aren't very good <coughs> sorry <clears throat> we aren't very good at, at as a organization at really sharing what we do so i think quite often we're sort of scrambling for funding to do the research and then there's very little left over to get the message out there
0: right something something to address Mm. because it's important to i think the problem with our our discipline is we all kind of have our silos um and our oasis and as you said within your office it's great that you communicate with the different Mm. groups and i think we need to do that um, further afield within the discipline. Yeah. 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 Um, next question. Um, we just discussed a, a very, um, important, uh, and problematic issue within, within the city. Um, unfortunately within our world, there's a lot of issues going on. Uh, and if there's one, um, beyond the one we just discussed, um, about gender violence, um, that you could vanish, um, um, what would it be?
1: Wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a large question.
0: It is a big question.
1: Yeah. Um, I think a sort of catch-all for lots of issues and maybe includes the gender-based violence stuff okay. as well is discrimination. Okay. If you could get rid of all types of discrimination, that would solve a lot of <laughs> problems. Yep. Um, and it sort of talks to what you were saying before about gender-based violence isn't necessarily just about being a woman or a girl or gender diverse people, it could be homophobic base based violence. So it's sort of yeah, I'm trying to catch lots
0: of things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's I always think there's that terrible film by Jim Carrey where liar, liar, where he can't mm. lie where he can't <laughs> lie for a day. And it's I always think about you know, what what the world will be for one day if we if we've had no discrimination within mm. within ourselves. And um yeah. But I think it would solve a lot of issues. Where, where would you, where is for you the root cause or where, where would you think to start oh, wow. with that?
1: I have absolutely yeah, no idea. I, I think, um, yeah, I think education plays a huge role in that. Yeah. Um. Sort of how you're taught to discriminate because yeah. it isn't something you're born with. Yeah. Um, So maybe trying to challenge early on where that teaching is coming from and how you could uh, pivot. Mm. at that moment
0: right I think teaching is one way I think the, the issue is as young people we learn from so many different mm. spaces whether it's television family um classroom uh, so yeah it's it's an impossible question to answer else we you're you, you're aimed to want to vanish it would it already, <laughs> already exist
1: yeah especially with sort of social media and it's how invasive exactly. technology can be sometimes yeah. yeah
0: do you use social media a lot
1: I am terrible on right. social media. I, I, uh, I think I still do. I do have an Instagram account, actually. I don't use it because I got addicted to watching drag queens okay. on Instagram. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I try and hold back right. now. Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: so we, we're at the conclusion of our, uh, let's say, longer questions. And now we have uh, six questions that are quick fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll go through those. Uh, question number 31. What's your favorite color? Green. Green. We're in a green room. Yeah. Um, question number 32. What's your favorite season from the year?
1: I think spring related to the green. Okay. Yeah. All
0: right. You're okay with the rain?
1: Uh, I hate the rain. Right. But I think it's the moment after winter where okay. the green comes back so, and you right. feel a bit of hope.
0: Daffodiluses. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, question number 33. Do you have a guilty pleasure other than drag race?
1: Oh, I don't know because that does take up a lot of my life. Right. <laughs> I, I think my... I was going to say that would be my guilty pleasure right. because not only is it the show, it's the podcasts, the okay. YouTube videos, the spin-offs. Wow. So it yeah, I think that takes up all my okay. time for a right. guilty pleasure. All right, fair
0: enough. Uh, question number 34, what is your most prized possession?
1: Um I have a terrible memory, so I think photographs because they help me visually go back to places and time.
0: And do you print them out or keep them on your phone or
1: a bit of both, both. Okay. yeah,
0: All yeah. Right. It's
1: nice to have the physical ones. So they're the they're the ones that mean something more. I think.
0: Do you have them on the wall around your flat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: question number thirty five. Uh, what was your first experience of the AA?
1: This is a tricky one. I can't remember the first time I came here. I, I th- I'm not sure. The the time i came when i had a sort of real experience here was the um the conference i think it was manager who organized it it was called xxaa i think i'm not i'm not sure on the title but i came along to that and was just completely blown away by the um the different speakers and what had been curated here and having having that space the time the luxury to explore those ideas in this beautiful environment as well it was like wow this yeah. is this is different
0: yeah that was quite a monumental event at the school A mm-hmm. X X, and um yeah uh i think we need more events like that and manage does an excellent job um, yeah um, with that the event you Absolutely. were at was was kind of in that in that lineage and um, so I think, um, but yeah, that was just, that was quite an important one. Yeah. At the school. yeah, I think
1: she's done such incredible work to open up the doors of the AA. Yes, through her different roles, and that's, I think, when I started to have a relationship with right. this place rather than just hear about it. I feel like I'm included in the conversation because of the work that she's done,
0: and it's important because the AA is a public space. Base mm. actually um you know we're one of the few schools that you can just walk in off the street um mm. and and but but historically it's also been kind of seen as a quite private club mm. um and so yeah that that initiative that she's implemented has, has been really um making it more inclusive absolutely definitely yeah. We have more ways to go, but um, but uh, we all do, I think. Mm. Um, and our last question, number 36, um, could you describe the AA in one word?
1: Um, wow. Uh, I think I had to think about this in advance, and I wrote down a few different words. But I think it's iconic. I think that's probably the word that feels most um, particular to the AA. There's nowhere else like this. Right. And, yeah.
0: And the, and that sounds good. Sometimes iconic in the architectural world, um, when yeah. it comes to form. Sometimes <laughs> a negative connotation, but it sounds like you're using it positively.
1: Yeah, I think I've had sort of, as I said, I didn't feel like I had much of a connection to this place. I heard a lot about it, that sort of private club that you mm-hmm. mentioned, until these events that Manager has been putting on, and and I think it's helped me understand like the very unique role that the AA plays and that is absolutely iconic it's not replicated anywhere else which is really uh, unusual these days right to have this, something so unique
0: yeah and uh, for those of us who work here every day we're, we feel very fortunate um, to work in in such an iconic place yeah. so Catherine that ends our questions um, wow, thank, thank you, you thank you very much for joining us it was uh, very enjoyable uh, I've learned a lot about drag race i have to <laughs> pique my interest um but also um yeah we also got into some serious uh dialogue as well um that is really important in terms of right to space um
1: yeah, thank so. you so much for having me it's a real
0: real privilege thank you we enjoyed it thank you thanks yeah. thanks for listening to this episode air podcasts are developed recorded mixed and edited by the architectural association from our home on bedford square in central london To find more episodes, view the show notes and explore other Air AA series, visit air.aaschool.ac.uk.